Steve, do you know what today is? It's the day we're recording the podcast. It's, it's not just any day. It's it's you don't you you want to take a guess? Is you may not know. Is is it my wedding anniversary? Yeah. No, it, that was that was earlier this month. Thank you for looking out for me. I know. I saw your mom. She opened. I I have no idea. Is, okay. is it? No, I have no idea. Never mind. It is our one hundredth episode. Get out of here! Is it really? It is. This is our one hundredth episode. Steve. Well, that's just and sure. There go the balloons. And the yes, I was going to get balloons, but they, I couldn't wow. figure out how to hang. Yeah, there it is. We can probably right. Photoshop some in or yeah. something. Yeah, yeah. Pretty Pretty nice. Nice. Steve, look at us. Once you get the hundred episodes on TV, you can start getting the reruns in. I see. The residuals we, are going to be flowing well, shortly. We'll have to go join the picket line. I think first. To oh yeah, that sounds those. like work. Never mind. Well, this is the 100th episode of Stuff Summer Says with Steve. With Steve. Um, and we're, we're celebrating with a, a very great guest to join us today. Um, ben I feel Jones. glad that, that, it's, that we waited until the 100th form. It's yes, appropriate now because yes. he is deserving, he, have been there before, and I'm glad it's this one. Yes. Um, he he was disappointed he hasn't been invited onto the podcast sooner. Was he saying did. something? But just We're going places, Steve. Um, we will let you listen to the Ben Jones interview. We discussed a wide ranging of topics. Um, and then after the after that part, we will unveil the results of our little survey that we did, which we are very excited about. Um, so go ahead, listen to Ben's interview, and we'll be back after this. Steve, we are joined by a man of many talents today, a man who I've cooked many hot dogs for at Tailgate's. A man who did a beautiful reading at a, a dear friend of ours wedding that I was the officiant over. Uh, the man simply known as Ben Jones. Ben, how are you? I'm doing great. And you should uh, be honored because I, I don't go to tailgates on Saturdays because I'm usually too busy or everyone's too far away. But you guys make good hot dogs. So I got to stop by. And <laughs> Thank that's, you. I'm, not, I'm a simple man. I don't need a whole lot to make me happy. So <laughs> hot dogs. Hot dogs are where they're at. Because really, hot dogs are not one of those things that you're like, what do I want to have for lunch today? I guess I'll just cook myself hot dogs. But when you get an opportunity, or at least I don't, but you get an opportunity to eat some, you know, that's where it's you, at for me. You take it. You take it. All right. Um, ben, much like any other interview on this podcast, we're going to kind of focus maybe a little bit more on you. We might dabble into some Penn State football. Um, but I also want to ask you about Penn State basketball. Um might even ask you about Penn State hockey. We'll see where this goes. Um, let's start with, I think, the thing that is most interesting to me about you is, and I could be wrong on this, but I, I believe you are truly one of the first digital era beat writers at Penn State. Re really, you didn't, I don't think you worked at the Collegian, correct? Because you have a, a political science degree. Um, yeah. You you really have never appeared in print. All of your stuff has been purely pretty much for the most part, statecollege.com, correct? Uh, yes, historic. I mean, it's a little bit more complicated than that, but professionally, um, yeah. it's only ever been statecollege.com. Do you think, do you think you're a different writer because of that compared to some of the, the older guard that has published in, in print or does, does that change your, the way you approach your, your job anyway? Um, 
I mean, I think that there are pros and cons to having done things the non-traditional way or having done things um, not first, but, you know, I think it's probably true that the, the, the start of Twitter being more and more of a news source and the start of, uh, you know, the sort of Penn State um, ecosystem online sort of being born all around the same time as the Jerry Sandusky scandal a little bit before, a little bit after, you know, I think that leads into it. You know, I don't think that, you know, if guys like Rich Scarcella or Frank Budani or any of those guys, you know, had come up in a different time that they wouldn't have been able to do the same things. I just think that I sort of got onto the on-ramp at the right time, so to speak. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I think there's definitely pros to, you know, figuring out what your own voice is in a non-traditional way. You know, obviously, I think that, you know, I look back now at that, you know, that time in my life and there's a lot of things that I would do differently now given the opportunity I was a junior in college that had been doing you know writing about Penn State really just as a hobby because I liked writing about sports and that was the thing to write about so to go from that into like here's the biggest story that you will probably ever cover um and just not knowing what you're doing and you know like you said I was a poli sci degree I, you know, dicked around a lot in college, like the, the Curly School wouldn't take me. I applied to be part of the, you know, in that sports journalism department. And they're like, you got to get your shit together. Um, and I just hadn't, you know, done that at that point. So, um, you know, I think that there are certainly tools that I've had to learn along the way that, you know, I'm sure that people that had a more classical upbringing in the profession uh, probably acquired a lot sooner. Um, but I do think that it was kind of liberating to be, I've always leaned on the advice that that my mom gave me a long time ago, which was like, just write like you're trying to explain it to me. Um, and not because my mom's not smart. It's just sort of like, don't overthink it. Don't make this harder than it needs to be. If you're at home at the dinner table, how would you explain this to me? And I've tried to stand by that. Um, and that ebbs and flows and grows, and I'm sort of wandering away from the question. But I, I do think that, um, you know, certainly everybody is impacted to some degree by how they come up in a profession. Um, and certainly uh, how I did it is is definitely shaped, you know, the sort of reporter that I've become. What surprised you about you the most, especially during that initial stretch of like the, the Sandusky coverage and kind of going back then? And how is how have you changed from kind of that young Ben Jones to to now one of truly like the one of the elder states statesmen on the beat? You might not like to hear that, but you've been around <laughs> yeah. the block for a while. We've known each other for ten years now. Yeah, um, I mean, I think you know I tweet way less than I used to. Um, you know, I think I think of I think Nate Bauer told me this a, a, a while ago that, you know, because I always ask him why or have asked him historically why he doesn't tweet as much. And his answer might have changed. So I don't want to speak for him for now, but it was just sort of like he wanted the tweets that he had to mean something. Um, and, you know, everybody kind of handles their online persona differently. I think with the number of followers that I have, that there's value in trying to be an actual person. And honestly, Twitter is a lot more fun when you actually are a real person rather than sort of a CMS feed. No one really wants to follow someone that just sort of pushes out their stories and then disappears necessarily. Um, but I think I tweet a lot less. I think I've learned the value over the years of, um, you know, one of the things that I just didn't know or appreciate or really grasp. And I think everyone in journalism is a little guilty in those moments of just, a, you know, a, a whirlwind of things that are happening that you get caught up in trying to get something else out, out there. Um, and, you know, at least for me, someone that was suddenly 
you know, I went from not, nobody knew who I was in any sort of capacity to being on Scott Van Pelt by the end of the week. Like I wasn't prepared for that. And there's a lot of pressure to have something to say when in reality, you know, the things that I did break were just a product of asking people and the things that I didn't break, you know, it was just a product of not knowing. And I think I tried to know more than I did. I think probably one of my regrets historically uh, related to that is just being like, um, the value i think it's in some of all fears the the movie where they talk about to ben affleck the value of uh, going into an intelligence briefing and if someone asks you a question that you don't know the answer to you just say that you don't know rather than sort of making up an answer um and i think i've, I've learned that over time um and, and i think that definitely it was definitely getting thrown into the fire and there was a lot of things that i learned from that that are that have made me different now but i think probably one of the biggest things is i tweet a lot less um and I'm probably less snarky than I used to be to a degree, which is a story we may or may not uh, get into down the line here. The non-traditional approach, did it, how, how did it help you and how did it challenge you, right? I mean, you you know, people would say, oh, this is, this is how you do it, right? And you weren't really thinking about how you do it. You were thinking about how you were gonna write for your mom to understand. So how did, how did being non-traditional or different allow you to succeed or, or provide a struggle with any early on? Yeah, I mean, I think the successful thing for being like a guy that lived in State College and grew up there and had a growing sort of online presence was in those moments, people just wanted to know what was going on. And a lot of that you could do with photos or a lot of that you could do with videos. So I think there was a value in just putting people in that moment. And I think that I've tried to carry that on really um, ever since then that, you know, I like I, it's weird. I enjoy pregame almost more than the game. Like I like the buildup to the opening kick. I like that sort of electricity in the air. I like, you know, since I'm fortunate enough to go on the road to people want to know. So how many Penn State fans came or what's the atmosphere like, or what is this sort of like? So, um, you know, when Penn State made the NCAA tournament, I was fortunate enough that, you know, Des Moines is a three hour drive straight South from where I live right now. So I just got in my car and then I just tried to bring people along for what that experience was like. So I think that, you know, that's sort of the, I wouldn't say non-traditional, but when it comes to when you're growing up in an, in an internet world rather than the print world or something like that, you sort of think of the engagement side of things a little bit more at times. And, and certainly, you know, at the end of the day, you know, people are like, oh, you just did this for clicks. It's like, well, nothing about how many times somebody looks at this photo on Twitter is going to get me paid anymore. So it's really not about, you know, anything like that. I think you just sort of try and put people in the moment. Um, and, and that translates to the the writing side of it as well. But I do think that coming up in that ecosystem sort of shaped it being, uh, I hate saying content driven because it makes me cringe a little bit. You know, at the end of the day, you're trying to write good stories. You're not trying to make good tweets. Um, but, you know, I think the job comes with doing, you have to be able to do a little bit of both. When did you know, or, or what were the milestones when you like, okay, people, people know I'm here. People trust me. People are coming to me. Um, I mean, I guess it sort of came naturally during the scandal just by virtue of, you know, I had a thousand some odd followers the beginning of the week and the end of the week I had 10,000, you know, so I always thought for the longest time that they were going to go away. Like I thought people, you know, we're all guilty, not guilty, but like something weird is happening. You follow them on Twitter because they're there. And then you're like, okay, I don't actually care about Kansas city all that much. 
and you unfollowed them. And I thought that that was going to happen and it never really did. And obviously a lot of time has passed and, you know, sort of established, um, a, a brand away from that, so to speak. Um, I remember during that week with the scandal, and I think this kind of spoke to how in over my head I was in a lot of regards was um, right before the press conference that that Joe got fired at, Sarah Ganim came up to me and asked me what I had heard. And I was like, I'm not like prepared for this. And, and it wasn't like she was asking me, like, it was just sort of this moment of, I'm sure she already knew because she was way more plugged in, obviously, than most everyone was, and certainly me. But it was like this moment when she um you know knew who I was and was like what does he know and I was like I don't know because I didn't and I think that was when I realized that like people were like expecting me to have answers that I wasn't going to have and I think that's that's changed over time and honestly a lot of it was you know I think for the first few years after the scandal when I had sort of accumulated a following that I hadn't really asked for um I worked really hard to not be the guy that had just benefited off of a horrible thing I didn't want my existence to just be a byproduct of horrible stuff that I just happened to come across the intersection of. Um, and that meant a lot to me. So I worked really hard to sort of establish um, an identity that wasn't just the guy who happened to have a lot of followers because bad shit happened kind of thing. So, um, you know, I think it started in that week when you go like, wow, people think that I know what I'm talking about. And that wasn't untrue, but it also wasn't as true as people thought. Um, and some of that's my own fault. Um, but certainly it was, it was impactful early on to be like, okay, so, you know, this, the Spider-Man thing with great power comes great responsibility. And I think like, not to call myself a superhero, but like every superhero, you kind of have to figure out how to, how to handle your powers, so to speak. And that's, that's, you know, I think everybody's a work in progress with that. Cool. Do you, do you feel like, let me rephrase this. Did you ever feel that you were at a disadvantage because of the fact that you were a poli sci major and you were essentially competing against everybody that has gone through the College of Com and probably your chance, especially at that time, had worked for the Collegian primarily? Or was it did you did you take that as an advantage because you looked at things a little bit differently? Um, I mean, somebody gave me good advice once that if everyone was looking at it, they held up their beer and they're like, if everyone's looking at it like this, look at it and the bottle was empty and he's like, look at it like that. So I've always tried to pride myself in, and I think anyone that has followed my line of questioning for a long time is that a lot of times, I like to think at least that I ask questions that are maybe a little bit different or focused on something a little bit more esoteric or just a little bit different. Cause you know, I think that um, that was how I wanted to establish myself. Do I think I was at a disadvantage? I think going back to the tools, you know, there's a lot of things that I had to learn. Um, from a, an ethics perspective, from a how many sources enough sources perspective to what do you really know versus what are you assuming perspective. And, and I think that every journalist, especially um, younger ones, you kind of have to grapple with that, whether or not you've got the, you know, the classical training or not. Um, but I also think at the end of the day, and this is what I've told people that like students that ask questions about things like that, too, it's like you can either write or you can't. You're either curious or you're not. Um, and, and to me, the, the thing that I've worked on, you know, the, the guidelines that I worked on is how can I can I get people to confirm what I think I know? If I can't, don't write it. If someone else wrote it first, just source them, you know, it, it, and don't make shit up. And if you can do those things and write a little well, 
and ask some curious questions, I think you can, um, I never asked about swearing on this podcast, but I guess it's too late. Um, it's, you know, I think if you can do those things well, then you can get by. Um, but there have certainly been moments, even still to this day, where, I mean, they're less frequent um, because it's far less knock on wood uh, scandalous these days um, where you go. I wish I had the classical training, uh, but at the same time, I feel confident in my ability to do my job. And I think the longer that you do it, the less it really matters whether or not I went to Syracuse or whether or not, um, you know, I went to Penn State and, and got X, Y or Z degree. Certainly it opens up different doors and, you know, the, the road to certain places is easier if you have those things, but I'm happy. And I think I'm all right at my job. So, you know, at the end of the day, I guess that's, you know, at least part of the equation. We like it. We like it. And you're allowed to swear. That's totally fine. Um, I I want to ask you about your questions, because every time that we we worked, we didn't work. To, we never worked together, but we always covered teams together, especially Penn State hockey. You had usually had very thoughtful questions. Where does that come from? Why, why do you ask the questions that you you tend to ask? Um, um, I mean, it's a good question. Probably the better question is why does it take me so long to ask them? Um, which I don't have, I, I don't know. I mean, I think part of it is, I think the coach's caravan was really cool. Um, many years ago when Penn State for the uninitiated of the bunch would do these PR stops after this, basically a combination of fundraising and sort of, uh, damage control and rallying the troops sort of thing where, you know, Bill O'Brien and a bunch of other coaches would stop at a bunch of different places. And before all of that, they would always have these press conferences. And early on, um, excuse me, as I belch, um, early on, you know, a bunch of people would show up to these things because they'd be in Williamsport or somewhere, you know, more accessible to the media and everyone would kind of show up and ask all the normal questions, but they would still always have those press conferences. So for the first couple of years, a few of us would go to almost every stop, at least every sort of reasonable stop in Pennsylvania, sometimes New York or DC. And you'd start to run out of the normal questions to ask. There's only so many times in a week you can ask Bill O'Brien if he's named a starting quarterback yet, because the guy has been on a bus all week. So you start to think of if I'm in a room with a coach and I have the opportunity to ask him whatever or her whatever I want. What might that be if we've taken all of the, the sort of housekeeping items off the table? And I think the nice thing about Penn State's beat for pretty much every sport, hockey has been different because I have covered that program for so long. So it sort of affords you the ability to do whatever you want, especially on a smaller sort of not as rigorously uh, adjudicated group as that is. Um, but I think the nice thing for football and to a certain extent basketball um, is there's there's enough people that cover it that you know that someone's going to ask the questions that really need to get asked about, you know, is Saquon Barkley's hamstring going to be okay before the Big Ten title game or these things that you're not you're interested in. But if I could have three minutes of James Franklin's time, is that really what I want to ask him about? So, um, you know, I I just try and go in with the perspective of let's pretend all the questions that I have from a housekeeping perspective are answered. What am I curious in? And then ask that. And sometimes it goes well, and sometimes it doesn't. Sometimes they answer, and sometimes they don't. And, you know, I think it's a balancing act of you don't want to waste other people's time. Um, you know, I remember I asked James when he was living by himself during COVID while his family was um, away if he had ever done his laundry before or something to that effect, or like who was doing his laundry. And there were some people that were like, 
you know, there's all these things going on with the program. Why are you asking that? It's just a softball thing. But I, I think to me, it spoke to sort of the strange humanity of James Franklin going home to an empty house at the end of the day and trying to figure out how to live by himself while he was managing a football program. Um, you know, that's a different sort of question all entirely. But yeah, I mean, to me, you got three minutes of the guy. Ask him what you want. And if it's interesting to you, I would much rather write a story that I'm interested in than a story I feel like I have to write. And sometimes you have to do both. That's how the job works. And I'm not writing game stories about random Penn State basketball games in the middle of November because I'm super passionate about it necessarily. It just comes with the territory. But I think, you know, there's a lot of intersections there to say, I've been thinking about this. So tell me what you think about it. And I think to, to go back to um, this is a long answer to go back to the collegian thing or the student media thing. I think a lot of things, you have to grow into this, but I think one of the things that I wish I could hammer home with more students, and I understand this is easier said than done, is to just talk to coaches like they're people. Now, how I talk to Guy Gadowski is a lot different than how some kid who's never covered a team before is going to do it if that's their first beat and you have to work up to those relationships. But one of the things I learned from Bill O'Brien was he was a guy who really just wanted to go home and drink some beers and coach football in the with the rest of his time and if you talk to him like a real person you get real people answers and Penn State's been fortunate I would say to not have coaches that are um too high and mighty to act like they're normal whatever you might think about James or any given person I'd say they're pretty as regular as you can be for a job like that um so I think if you treat them and talk to them like that within reason and you know I've been around for a while now so it's a little different um that helps as well. So anyway, I'm, I was rambling there. On the relationship continuum, right? I mean, the, the Twitter folks come that week of Sandusky, at least a preponderance of them, right? So there's people there who are like, okay, I'm in on Ben Jones. When were the, when did the coaches respect come, do you think? Or at least I'll go with respect. I mean, I, I think that's probably the appropriate word of, of, okay, this guy's doing this a little bit differently. He's going to ask a different question. He's going to do it. Like, when did that come? And like, okay, he's got a thoughtful approach to this. He's different as opposed to who's the guy in the corner of the room who's asking oddball shit? Yeah. Um, it's a good question. I mean, I think one of the, the nice things is that, um, I'll make a very, um, he's a great guy. He's just sort of an esoteric, uh, callback. Um, uh, you know, Nate Mink was my editor very early on in my professional career. And he said, um, you're going to go cover men's hockey. Um, and, that's how you're going to kind of get better at what you do. Cause at that point it was him and someone else were doing most of the football stuff. Um, so I was really, I wasn't full-time then I don't think, but in, in any case sort of uh, got thrown into a little side fire to go learn how to do the job. And um, I think somewhere along there, guy and I sort of hit it off um, and I think he appreciated that someone was covering them consistently. And there were other outlets, you know, the Collegian and, and, and people like that that were around. So I didn't have exclusivity on that in any, by any means. But um, I think somewhere in there was probably the first time I think covering. Um, I never really covered Ed DeCellis. I didn't really cover Joe. I was not participatory. My first year on the beat was 2011. So there was a lot of things going on and I wasn't the person um, to be asking those questions. Um, so I think that, I think the fact that I didn't cover Ed and Pat showed up at the same time I was starting. So everyone was kind of on an even playing field and basketball, if you really cover a basketball program, um, it's a lot of FaceTime week to week with these people. And especially with a program like Penn state that 
um, was about 500 things down the pecking order at Penn State in that time um, to be there at, at ground zero, so to speak, um, you know, was good for building those relationships. So I, I think on the hockey front, on the basketball front, it just came with time. The football front wasn't always easy because I, um, I, you know, frankly, I, I, I guess he won't care if I ever, he's not going to watch this. Um, probably my sense of time is, warped at this point but probably like four years into james being around he didn't like me very much because he didn't like my tweets james doesn't like most people's tweets but he didn't like mine so he basically they were not granting me the interviews that i wanted over the summer and i got a hold of chris peterson and was like okay i'm trying to do a job here we went and got lunch she's like james doesn't like your tweets all that much and i was like okay so i need to be less uh you know you have to find that middle ground between not you know being yourself but not being too much of an agitator that you're not able to do your job i think that's especially in the day and age where you know places like penn state can just make their own content they don't really need the media the same way that they used to so you know you can have a sassy tweet but you could also sit down with saquon barkley so you have to kind of figure out that middle ground um and probably a year later um james had an off the record session with the media at the lash building that I honestly don't remember what the point was, but at the gray end, we were leaving and he shook my hand. And he's like, you're not as much of an asshole as you used to be. Um, and then I, I left the room and we carried on our way. And I would say, you know, um, I think the fact, I, I think James and I have a pretty good relationship at this point. Um, you know, I think that there's that balancing act between, you don't want to be like too much. Um, you know, I, I wonder sometimes how you navigate the, well, he doesn't hate me, but is that because of I'm not scary anymore. Um, you know, that sort of that sort of middle ground there. But um, certainly, I think somewhere in the last six years or so, um, everyone's come around and said, you know, he's here for the long haul. He's asking interesting questions and he's not just, uh, you know, a thorn in the side anymore. So it it came it came along at different times for different sports. I think we've asked this question to every beat writer that we've had on, if not most of them. Um, but you've sat down with James probably what five times now, at least one in a one-on-one -on -one setting. Would you say? Yeah, we've done, I sat down. I remember the first one we talked about race. Then we walked for about an hour and a half because I did his walk around campus. Um, I talked to him a month or so ago about getting older. Um, and then there have been basically one-on-one -on -one circumstances. I think genuine one-on-ones, there's only been three, but in terms of like pretty small audience things for an extended period of time, it's maybe four or five, but, but yeah, I would say that I've had a, a fair number at this point relative to some other people. And I guess you answered it a little bit there, but what is your relationship now with James Franklin? Like, is it, do you feel that you are getting better answers out of him? Maybe not even just in that one-on-one -on -one setting, but also in the press conference settings, because you've, you've asked him some of those questions you went on that walk. Yeah, I mean, I think James and I have a good relationship. Um, I mean, I think I think any coach, you know, I'm not perfect by any stretch, but I think that that any coach appreciates people that sh they have a lot of time and they don't have they have a lot of things to do and not a lot of time. And if you can show up and take three minutes of their time and look like you did your homework and didn't pull it out of your ass walking in the door, sometimes that happens. You know, you've got to work on your feet a little bit if if the the day goes one way or the other. Um, but I've always tried to show up and look like I thought about it. I, I mean, I've practiced, I'll, I'll admit, you know, driving over from 
where I used to live in State College to the stadium, I would be sitting at red lights practicing how I was going to phrase my question to James. Like, you know, you show up and look like you did your work. You try and seem like you're thoughtful. Um, I think that any coach will appreciate that. And I think, you know, James certainly has. And I think that, um, you know, I, I think that that's benefited me in the long run. I, I can say that, you know, James has, um, you know, I've looked down and he's called me, you know, and and that's those are few and far between. I'm probably good for like one and a half on average James Franklin calls per year. I think there's probably a lot of people on the beat that are in that boat. So I'm not I'm not special in that regard. Um, but I do think that um, it's indicative of at least a, a better relationship than it was. Um, and I think it's helpful, too, because when you have a good relationship with a coach or anyone that you're covering, I think it affords you um, a little bit more liberty to be hard um, because and, and come back from that. I think if you're someone that that a coach doesn't really know or doesn't really respect and you come in and just pound away at you did this wrong sort of thing. Um, they're going to, you're going to have a harder time repairing that relationship. than here's a body of work and a, a more fleshed out relationship. And, you know, you understand, I think he, I think he does a better job now of understanding what the job is. And I think he's slightly better at not being annoyed at, at every little thing. I think every little thing used to irk him a lot more than it does. Um, but I think certainly having a better relationship gives you a few more liberties to be like, so why did you run it on fourth and five kind of thing and 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 those sorts of things and and not be in his sort of uh doghouse, so to speak, for an extended period of time? The the other relationship that I want to ask you about is with Pat Chambers. Do you still have a relationship with him? And I, I, I mean, you were and in my mind, probably still are the Penn State basketball beat writer. Um, you know what what did you, what, what, how did that relationship kind of grow, help you grow as a writer in, in your career? Yeah. I mean, I will say off the bat that I, you know, I consider Mark Brennan and Nate Bauer. Um, Mark certainly has been around longer than I have. Nate's been around longer than I have. They're now there more consistently. So, you know, I appreciate anybody that, that reads me for my Penn State basketball content, but I would throw those guys in, in Dave Jones to a certain extent. Um, in that boat of sort of predominant voices on the program. So I don't want to take full credit for that. Um, but yeah, I mean, Pat was interesting. I'll say that I haven't talked to, I talked to Pat a couple times right after he fired, resigned. Um, and since then, not so much. Um, I thought about going and covering the game when they played Bucknell when he was at LaSalle. So that would have been a short drive that didn't end up working out um, for a lot of different reasons. Um, but yeah, I mean, you learn a lot in things like that, especially, especially with a guy like Pat, who's very charismatic and very, you know, you don't take the Penn State basketball job and do it for 10 years without having to sell it to people and without having to sell the challenges to people. And I think one of the things I learned is that if someone like Pat, you know, head coach of any program is taking time to come and tell you something, there's a reason why they're telling you that it's not, you know, for the most part, I don't think it's just because they're like, Hey, do you want this scoop or do you want this, this angle? I think it's because they're trying to get a point from point A to point B and I'm sort of the conduit there. And you have to figure out how to manage that information without, um, uh, I, I think you have to not get used. I think you have to figure out the right way to use information that might be true. And then you have to use your own filter to figure out what to do with it. 
Um, and I think Pat was a good sort of crash course in, I believe what he's telling me, um, but now I have to figure out why I think he's telling me that. And is it, you know, how do you navigate all of that? Um, you know, I will say that, you know, Pat was a great guy to work with. Um, you know, he really didn't bullshit that much. Um, there were plenty of times where he would take Nate and Mark and I after a practice or after a press conference and sort of tell us how it really was in a way that we couldn't say verbatim, but was informative um, in a lot of different areas. Um, so, you know, I think his departure from Penn State is a little complicated um, and, and sort of a weird thing to grapple with, um, because I, I'll say that, you know, I think one of the mistakes that you can make as someone who covers a person for a long time is you really think that you know who they are just because you know what they're like in a press conference. And the reality is, is there's a lot of those people that you are a lot about those people that you don't see. Um, that being said, you know, I will go on the record here at least of saying that I, you know, I don't think that Pat Chambers is, is racist. I don't think that Pat Chambers is a guy that, you know, has some problem in that regard. Did he say things that he shouldn't have? in an environment where you have to pay for that more than you used to. I think so, you know, was he wound a little too tight? I think he would probably admit that, you know, are there things about him that, you know, weren't great or weren't perfect? Absolutely. I'm not here to advocate for him as a person being wonderful, but, um, you know, I will say that, you know, I had a lot of respect for how hard he worked at that job and a lot of respect for who he seemed to be as a person. And, you know, that, that entire saga certainly was messy, but it doesn't necessarily change my underlying opinion of of who he is overall, mistakes or or not. You talked a couple of relationships. I'm curious about your relationships with with fans. Like, what are their expectations of you, and what do you what do you hear from fans on a daily basis or weekly basis, or if it's, if it's not that often, when do you hear from them? Yeah, I mean, I think it's interesting because I think there's a subset of people that don't like me that much, and I think there's a subset of people that 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 do, which to me probably means that I'm somewhere where I ought to be. Um, you know, I think, I, I think for the most part, it's positive. I mean, it helps that, you know, Penn State's not really been that bad and people don't have a lot to really get all that angry about. And when they lose to Ohio State, it's not my fault. So they're not taking it out on me. I think that you have to, you know, I always try and think of my job through the lens of someone who is, you know, a fan of the Eagles. I don't read a ton of Eagles content. Um, I read more of the Sixers, but in, in any case, I try and think of what are the things that annoy me when I read about the teams that I actually like? And how can I keep that in mind when I'm doing my job? Because I think it's easy to be the sort of peanut gallery guy who goes, oh, I don't really care if they win or lost. So uh, I'm just going to be an asshole about it. Um, and I don't think I've ever done that, but I think you have to learn how to navigate the criticism in a way that that comes across so people don't hate you. Um, you can say the truth or speak truth to power without agitating everyone in the process. And I think there's a, a dance to be done there. But by and large, I mean, I think it's a great community online. You know, I think it's funny. I, I It obviously doesn't happen to me as much now and hadn't in the last couple of years, but there are definitely moments um, where I'm reminded that the people online are real because there'll be people that will like see me in the tailgating lot on my way to the stadium and be like, I actually, I, I got not pulled over, but like a group of people that I didn't even know on the way to the stadium tried to get me to play beer pong with them um, before a game um, because they knew who I was. And I've had people in historically, you know, this is over, you know, 10 plus years of doing the job. Somebody, um, 
you know, a, a woman in line at Wegmans was like, oh, I loved your story or whatever. And like, you're sort of reminded that all of the the Twitter accounts are are actual people out there. So I try and treat people with respect. And I'll, I'll certainly talk to people. I always think that one of the things I'm proud of about how I conduct myself online is I'm not afraid to talk to people. I'm not afraid to have conversations with people. And I think that goes back to what I was saying about what uh, annoys me sometimes is I'll have questions for Eagles reporters or Sixers reporters that I follow. And, you know, they get a lot of tweets. I'm not the most important person in the world, but they almost never respond. So I go like, I want to be the guy that if you go, what do you think about this, that I'm accessible? Because most of the time I'm just sitting on my couch watching football or watching basketball or doing something. I got time to talk to people. Now, if you're disrespectful or not nice about it, that might go differently. Um, but yeah, I mean, to me, the fans have been have been great, mostly been positive interactions. And I, I don't take, you know, I'm not always right. If somebody thinks I'm wrong and they want to tell me why I'm open to the idea of not being right. I think, you know, Penn state fans are smart. There's 110,000 of them in the stadium and bajillion more outside. Like somebody's going to have a smarter football thought than me. I think what I'm going to be able to do is maybe, maybe contextualize it a little bit better. Maybe to think about it a little bit more rationally and use access to my advantage. But if, if you tell me that you think the screen pass on third and five was a perfectly good thing to do. And you can explain to me why that is, I'm I'm willing to be wrong about that because I'm I'm not God's gift of football. It's just my I, I I used to tell coaches that I don't get paid enough to make the decisions, just to second guess them. Um, so you know, to me, I try and keep that in mind when it comes to fans too. You had uh, recently told me that the beer pong story uh, because we were trying to explain to somebody at a wedding that we were both at who Ben Jones is. Um, so I'm glad that you brought that story here. I did play beer pong with them, by the way. If you must know, I, yeah, what did I, you do. I did well enough. I'm a little rusty, but <laughs> it might have been flip cup. And any, I'm even worse at flip cup. So I definitely, you know, they still, no one unfollowed me that day. So I did well enough, I guess. <laughs> You've mentioned a couple other different people from the beat. Where does competition fit into what you do? Um, it's weird because I think that there's a lot of different variables to that. I think at the end of the day, the Penn State football beat in particular and that extends out to some of the other ones by virtue of who is on them, has always really been nice to each other. Like, this is not New York. It's not Philadelphia. It's not a place that, you know, everyone's going at each other for things. Um, so in that regard, it's been a great place to, you know, I can't say grow up anymore because I've been there for, I think this is my 13th season. So, you know, it's not like I haven't been doing this for a while, but it's a great place to have people to talk to and say, what do you think about this? Or ride the elevator back with, uh, you know, rich or, I mean, I think people give Corey a boatload of shit for no good reason. I think, well, not no good reason. I think there are occasionally times where Corey deserves the, the flack that he gets, but I think that he is a lot more thoughtful than he gets credit for. Um, and certainly I think, um, I don't know the status of his radio show at, at, at present, but I think, you know, had a real interesting platform being one of the few, if only non-Steve Jones voices that was doing anything on the air in the region, um, so I, I respect how hard Corey works. Um, but yeah, it's been it's been great to be a part of that beat. The competition standpoint, um, you know, I think the other variable is that Penn State runs a pretty tight ship. Um, it's not really a place where, you know, it depends on the program. It depends on the thing. You know, I wrote a story last week by virtue of a few different things where I figured out who the PA announcers at the stadium were going to be next year. And I hit up Penn State and said, look, I know 
and you know that I know, and we are going to stop pretending that we both don't know the same thing. So I can either write this story right now, or I can give you guys the weekend to get your things in order, and then I'll write it. And they were like, okay, we'll come back to you on Monday. And I bothered them on Monday, and they're like, okay, you can go ahead and write it. And if they had said no, would I have written it anyway? Um, perhaps, but you know, things things like that from a competitive standpoint, you have to look for your stuff mm-hmm. on a on a beat like Penn State. But I think at the end of the day, you know, there's news out there. You know, we talked about off the air your media survey and and people who were or were not on it and, and things like that. And John Sauber is a guy that has good connections and has broken some news, so it's out there to be had. But for the most part, um, I think when you're on a really big beat. You have to write to the people that are going to read you. Um, you know, realistically, people that read the Reading Eagle aren't necessarily always the same people who are going to read me. So sometimes we're going to write the same thing, and that's fine. Um, and I also think that goes back to asking weird questions because I can guarantee you, um, you know, one of the most read stories that I've ever written. I just went around at media day and asked all the assistant coaches what happens to the clothes when they leave the school they used Great to be. Story. Yeah, and it was a great story, and it was it was just a weird little corner of the the brain thing, um, and you make news there. So it's not so much competitive; it's creativity to a certain extent. And then you know when weird stuff happens, you know first come first serve, I suppose. But I've got nothing but respect for most everybody that does uh, their job on the beat, and I think they have always been the the old guard have always been gracious with their time and, and thoughts and experience as well. So I just try and pay that forward best I can. I want to ask you about one more thing. I think that a lot of people maybe, maybe don't know this about you right now is you are not living in state college anymore. You're out in Minnesota, um, usually fishing um, if you're not living inside. Um, how has that changed your approach to the beat? If any, do you, and do you think you will continue to do this job because you live out there? Yeah, I mean, I think to answer the first part, um, I mean, it's definitely different. I mean, I think the nice thing about today's day and age and the fact that we've uh, incorporated Zoom into a lot of things has made doing the job remotely easier. Um, And the fact of the matter is a lot of people that cover Penn State um, do it remotely. So once you're already not in state college, you know, is it the same thing? No, like, if if something bad happened tomorrow and someone in Philly had to drive to State College, they could do it. I can't get from Minneapolis or from Minnesota to to State College in four hours. It's not it's not going to happen. So there are definitely disadvantages, but I think that there is a lot about how this job is done um, that you can do remotely. It helps that my parents still live in State College, so during the season, the plan is again for me to do a lot of commuting, stay you know two weeks at a time, be there for a lot of things in person. Uh, and, you know, frankly, I think until James mentioned it during the press conference after Blue White this year or whatever, I think most people didn't know. So I did all last season in a combination of Minnesota and State College. And I don't think anybody really that wasn't unless you were really paying attention. I don't think that most people really knew. Um, so it's definitely different. It's definitely a challenge, um, but it's doable in terms of how long am I going to do it? Um, I, I mean, I think. I, I'm one of two people in this house um, right now, but I, I think without speaking out of turn, the general gist of it is um, I think I think we're going to see how the yet to be officially Drew Aller era goes, uh, see how that goes and, and where 
that sort of chapter ends up and then we'll go from there. Um, there's some, you know, personal benchmarking and things like that that we won't go into on here that will impact a few things. But um, yeah, I mean, for all intents and purposes, it's my plan to continue to be part of the beat. And I, I feel fortunate enough that, um, you know, statecolleges.com's making it work um, on that front. But, you know, I think it's it's safe to say that if you live in Minnesota and you cover Penn State football, there is a, an end date on all of that at some point. But certainly, you know, I don't think that that's, it's certainly not this season and it's probably not next season either. All right. Good to know. Good to know. I like Dan Patrick. Yeah. We're not calling yeah. our show. I mean, you're not going to call a solid date, but that's great. Yeah. yeah. Great. All right. All right, Ben. Um, is there anything else that we didn't ask about that we should? Let's that way we have to ask about fishing. How's fishing going? You you have taken great. up that hobby. You you really love that now, right? Like that's yeah. your passion. Yeah, I mean it's it's fun. I mean it helps when you you know. There's I live um, forty minutes south of Minneapolis, so we're not we're not in the city. Um, but in our our little town here, we've got a river that goes through the middle of it. It's Minnesota, so there's probably six different lakes within 20 minutes of here. Um, we've got trout streams. So, it, you know, I went, I was like, oh, gosh, so I don't have any friends. So I needed to pick up some new hobbies. Um, and it's too damn cold here to golf most of the year. So although it's it's going to be in the 90s for most of this week, so I'm not sure what the it's 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 fitting because the PGA Tour is going to be in Minneapolis this weekend or St. Paul, technically. Um, and I think we're going to go on Saturday and it's supposed to be like 95. So, um, if, if you hear them on TV, say someone had heat stroke, um, <laughs> it's probably me and a few other people, but it might be me. Um, so yeah, I mean, fishing has been great. It's, it's a good time. And I think the nice thing about fishing compared to golfing, which used to be my state college thing is, um, for all intents and purposes, you can fish as many times as you want and it's relatively free, um, rounds of golf add up after a while so you got to make some choices but if you want to go to a lake and catch some panfish um you know as long as you're not use, losing your lures a fishing license here is 25 bucks for the year so um it's it's not too bad so i, I can't complain there you go all right ben what do you uh what do you want to plug what do you want to shout out and handles and where where can people find ben jones yeah I mean, I want to meet the people. I don't know what your demographic is like. I imagine anybody that's made it this far might already follow me, it, but I they am. probably do. Yes, <laughs> but maybe not. We're Jones eighty eight for the uninitiated. Um, but yeah, statecollege.com, Twitter. I don't do much Facebook or Instagram. People are like, "What's your Instagram?" I don't. I I post actually. My Instagram's kind of cool because it's only pictures of the stadiums that I've been to. Um, but you know, I never noticed that. I have to yeah. now. I have to go look at that. Yeah, I had an older one that used to be a little bit broader, but that's not where we're at right now. But yeah, I mean, read local news, subscribe to local news. Um, and I think the thing that I always try and hammer home is like your favorite beat reporter is probably just trying to get to the end of the day. They're they're not out there uh, conspiring against your favorite team. <laughs> they don't they don't care. They're just they're just trying to write an interesting story and work something approximating what they make so i think you know be nice to your local reporter because they're just tired <laughs> <laughs> what a beautiful way to end this interview thank you so much ben appreciate you guys having me steve i don't i think you kind of said it there but i never if you wouldn't have known ben jones was living in minnesota 
you wouldn't know that Ben Jones was living in Minnesota. Like he, he still is on top of his game. He still provides really the same level of, of quality content that he ha- had been providing prior to his move out there. Um, so I am excited also to hear that he's going to stick around for at least a few more years. Yeah. I mean, for me, it's, it's a no news topic, right? All the best sports writers, all the sports writers, you know, the people know nationally, whatever else don't have, a, I mean, they have a hometown team that they cover sort of, but the good ones are a little bit of everywhere. Right. And, and he's just there focused on this. The pandemic's changed it. I think what bent, what sets Ben apart and maybe that's strong. I think what Ben like, made Ben special. I'm not like, I, both of those, like he asks good questions. He's curious. He's genuinely curious. And I don't know that all people all, always are. And his different questions get coaches off topic. He talked about relationship with, with coach Franklin, talked about relationships with the basketball coaches. Um, I think he's good at what he does because it comes, it comes from a place of curiosity and, and that's the most vital characteristic. It's got to be all right, but the curiosity matters. He's, he was, anytime I worked with him and really anytime I listened to a press conference, he's always good at asking that question at the relative right time. And I think there, that he's grown and I don't know if he would, would admit that, but he's grown in that aspect. Like he might've asked that maybe a question or two too early. Cause there is a time and a place to ask some of the questions that he asks. Um, and I think it, that also, as you mentioned, shows through in his writing. You can he, see it in his writing. Um, you can really get a picture of how he thinks and how it is a little bit different than the average beat reporter, um, so to speak. So I, I think that's the main thing I enjoy about Ben. I, I think the other thing that he doesn't get enough credit for, and especially even prior to the pandemic, but even now still, he's a relative Swiss army knife of, of Penn State sports. He is He's probably one of the more knowledgeable people on football. I, I think for my money, the most knowledgeable person about the basketball program. And he is the, the Penn state men's hockey beat writer. Like that he is, that is what most people know him for. Um, and when not to recount relive my glory days, but w- when I covered the team, I looked up to Ben because he just, he knew what you could trust him. You, you, you could, put your faith in him. And, and he was somebody that you look forward to working with. Um, so I think that to me is, is the main takeaway about Ben. Um, he, he's also apparently become a very, a very avid fisherman, just absolutely. Well, maybe that patience, that patience and strategy that works for maybe in, in the job, maybe works along the, along the stream or the lake, but yeah, cause he has a plan for most part, right? Like he's done a series of stories the past couple of weeks, the connections got him that the, the announcer gig, he did the embed with the, with the fo- football a hockey team like five or six years ago where he did the book and did the, the embedded and followed them. Like he has a plan. It's not just, you only get so much access at Penn state and he made reference to that and, and, and how to fight for it, protect it and respect it. But I think having that plan of, okay, how am I going to get what I need to serve people and still serve my curiosity is a good thing. And I don't know that everybody always has a plan. They just say, Oh, here's what we're feeding you today. And Ben does a good job of trying to, to set out his own menu from time to time. Um, anything else you want to want to add? Anything interesting? No, we love Ben. There we go. We've given there we him. Go. That's what we, we do. We've patted his back. I, I am sincerely sorry we didn't talk until now, but it's the hundredth. My God, it's that's wonderful. Yes. Yeah. You're very excited about this fact. I am very excited about the hundredth. That's wonderful. Yeah. Um, it was, it, it was a big week for us. Um, I think uh, I think it's going to be a big football season for us too. That's all I'm going to say. We might have some news next month, and that's all I'm going to say. And last time I said we have news next month, we had we had a pretty big announcement. So. Um, all right, moving on, Steve. We set out a survey. We asked 
a ton of questions, not a ton. It was a couple questions. It was just something that was itching around in my brain. And I wanted to find out. And I said, Hey, Steve, what are your, what are your thoughts on this? And you're like, do it. And so we did it. Uh, we asked a couple questions basically re- related to how you consume Penn state sports media. Um, I have the results. Steve has not seen or heard or read any of the results. No, I, haven't. Um, I don't know if they've been audited. If they're in some uh, they have been. I tried jar on the porch of Funk and Wagnalls or whatever that yes. is. Like I'm waiting. Uh, yes. So they have been. They have the white smoke is pluming out of our chimney or whatever. Um, okay, here we go, Steve. First off, I want to say thank you to everybody that filled this out. We had over a hundred responses, which floored both of us um, because you took a little bit of time to do something for us. Um, so we're, we're thank you if you filled out the survey. Um, good to know that people actually pay attention. Steve, we had 18 different states show up on our how many states, including California, Wisconsin, Tennessee, and Alaska. Yes, somebody wrote put Alaska. Hopefully, by I, I, I'm gonna. I know Ben opened the jar of the profanities, but I'm gonna keep my mouth shut and not say get the f out of here. That's pretty cool. I, that's I'm that's pretty you. cool. Um, 60, and I think this is important to keep in mind as we go through this. And one of the reasons why we did ask this question, um, where you live, um, 62% of the people that responded to us live in PA. And I would say probably I didn't crunch all of the numbers, but within the surrounding States that touch or very relatively touch PA, it was probably up in the upper 85%, let's say, uh, of people that responded. So keep that in mind as you kind of hear these results. Um, and we go through there. Um, we're actually going to start on the podcast p- part first, because this is a podcast and and that's interesting. Of the people that answered, 63% of people say they listen to podcasts about Penn State sports, which surprised me a little bit, because I, I think, I don't know, I, I still feel like podcasts are, are relatively new, like I and I feel like Penn State's audience is relatively older. We joke about the the married couple living in York, PA, but I, I feel like that's our demographic. I'm sure some of it was probably skewed to who we were showing it to, since we did most of this digitally. But um, I thought that was a that was my first there's interesting podcast out there. I mean, there's a lot of good. There's a good variety of Penn State podcasts. A lot of people who care about it. So I think there's good content there. And I and I don't do it as much as I probably could. But I think people who pop their earbuds in at work or go on a walk or whatever else. There's a lot of people consuming stuff that way. I I will say I listen to other Penn State podcasts. I listen to Corey Listokey's podcast, the Hardcore uh, Penn State Football Podcast, and then I I usually will check in on what Lions Two Four Seven and Blue White Illustrated are doing. Are you ready for our most listened pod mess, listened to podcast? I'm sitting down. All right, numero uno. We're gonna go from top down. Uh, number one, sixty percent of the people that say they listen to podcasts listen to. The Lions 247 podcast. That's the number one most listed. Not necessarily surprising, um, but also somewhat relatively surprising to me. I, I think that it was it was that high. Uh, 46% of people listen to the Blue White Illustrated, Illustrated podcast. Um, also another podcast that I listen to. Um, I think you get a you get some good insider information on both of those. Um, certainly with Sean Fitz on the Blue White Illustrated podcast now um, as well. Um, and then number three was a was a little little podcast called Stuff Summer Says, and we got bronze. Yeah, we got bronze, Steve. Twenty five percent of people uh, listen to well, us. Since we sent this thing out. That's nice. Okay. Except so for funny. one guy who said one guy definitely doesn't. He said, "Never heard of it." 
So that <laughs> no. was either that yeah. or he's poor. It is one of ours pulling our chain. And we yeah, uh, that's true. I don't know. I, I don't know. All right. Are you ready to, to move on to the reading portion of today's yep. assignment? Okay. So let's start with the places people pay for their Penn State news. Um, of our responses, 62% pay for at least one service and 29% uh, pay for at least two services. Okay. Um, so there is, a, there is a sharp drop off. I'm going to let you guess number one. I think you would be able to get it. Lines 247? No, the athletic is number one. Okay. okay. Uh, that 66% of people say that they uh, pay there. Well, and I think you get more, I mean, because I would, for me, I get the Penn State stuff, but I get all the other national. You get everything stuff. else. So that's, so that's exactly that's why what I makes like it. that has to be number one, if you think about it, right? Because, yeah, you're going to get your Penn State stuff. Audrey's trustworthy. It makes sense. She has good stuff. And you're still going to get college football, Everybody college else. basketball, NFL, and now the New York Times, too. I think you have to in this day and age. Like, I think if you, if you, it's not to discredit anybody else out there, but if you still value, especially the feature story, um, I think the athletic is still like kind of the default place for that. And I think that's why I, why I still subscribe to the athletic and probably always will. Um, I think I would be upset if, if an Audrey went away or some of the other writers that I tend to read on there, I think the big one, we haven't really talked about this, but Andy Staples switching from on three, or I'm sorry, from the athletic over to on three was a bit of a surprise. Um, interested to see how that all plays out. Cause that was actually one of the main podcasts we listened to on our drives at state college every weekend was the Andy Staples show. So we we're just having a conversation about that. Um, number two was, is on three, which is blue, white illustrated uh, 48% of people pay for that one. And then uh, number three was lions two, four, seven at 28% of people listening. to those. So those are your top three. Um, thought that was pretty interesting. Um, especially with how quickly on three has kind of grown and pro- popped up. Um, that to me seems like it's a loyal to the beat writer or loyal to the writer um, type move more so than anything um i personally don't love the message boards on on three as much as i like the the lions 247 message boards i find that i get more information on the lions 247 ones um but i think when we just had tyler on the tyler calvaruso on the show but i i think both places have equal matter or equal say in the voice like i think you get good information and good it's good to hear multiple sides, especially in that kind of that recruiting space. Cause sometimes they, they, they generally all kind of go the same direction, but one might go a little more left or right, you know, depending on um, their, their approach to the beat. All right. Are you ready for our top five places that people read Penn state sports yes. news? All right. Number five, Penn live at 38%. Of the, of, of the respondent said that they, they get their news from there. Um, I don't didn't growing up, but I do now because one, I know Johnny McGonagall works there. Uh, two, um, I didn't really know what Penn Live was living on the, the western half of the state. And I think that was uh, kind of look to the mirror, look to other places. Um, so that came through. Number four is the athletic. That's where they is the number four plays at 42%. Um, as much as it breaks my heart to not see the daily collegian at number three, it's onward state at number three. 
the 45%, uh, just because, you know, I'm a collegiate guy through and through. Uh, excited and happy for them, though. All right, the top two. Are you ready? Yep. Number two is on three at 47%. Okay, and number one at 50% is Lions 247. Okay, well, so that's a nice spread there. You got four of them all over 40%. Yeah, so I, I think I think to me it's interesting. I think, again, I think people like the insidery and the behind-the-scenes stuff. I think that's what the data here says. Um, and I think people still, even though Penn Live has really had a lot of different beat writers over the last few years, um, people still have a lot of good trust in, in kind of the, the hallmark paper in the, the center part of the state. Um, or, well, we'll get into the center, center part of the state debate. I don't think that Harrisburg's in the, it's in the Southern part of the state, but we'll save that argument for another day, another day. All right, Steve, are you ready for who, who the people voted as their number one beat writer? I am. How many of these are you given? You have We're giving, I'm going to give you five. I'm going to give you five. five. I'm okay. not going to give okay. percentages. I don't want to hurt egos. I'm, uh, but you're going you know, five it, to one. Yeah, but we're going five to one. And if just a reminder that if, if there was somebody not on the list, there was somebody that you didn't get to vote for, you could have wrote them in. There was a write-in section. A couple of people did write, write some names in. Um, appreciative of those names. Um, so, But here are the top five according to you. Number five. My former boss, Neil Rudell. Good to people. People trust his opinion. Uh, number four, Sean Fitz is on the list. Um, people probably looking to him mainly for recruiting news. I think that's really what he's known for. I think people, he, he tends to have the most inside source data information, mm -hmm. I think, of, of the beat writers, uh, at least in my opinion. Um, number three. Dave Jones, he's number three. Number two, our our just recent guest Ben Jones, and number one, are you ready? The People's Champ. Do you, I think you know who it is? I'm typing. I'll see if I was on okay. Ahead. All right, it's Audrey Snyder. That's what I typed. Yeah. Okay. I not surprised by that. Not surprised by any of those five names being on that list. I think all are great people, all are great writers, all provide great information to the Penn State beat. I just think people really like Audrey. That's all. I think that's, I think Audrey's got a good personality to her. Um, she, she works really hard and it, it shows and you can see that in her writing. So well, the athletics, the number one subscription, right? Like there's the yeah. thing that pulls with it. So no, that's Congratulations for, all the, for all the right reasons, right? You got some old school guys. Yeah. You've got some folks who do opinion. You got some people who are connected. You got some folks who are creative. It's a good group. Yeah. Good. Uh, congrats to Audrey. Um, anything, anything blow you away to surprise you there on any of that? No, I mean, I think, I think maybe Neil a little bit, right. But again, with our listenership and your background, right. You're going to get some Altoona people yeah. who, who are there. Like, cause again, it, it, that's the interesting thing about this presence. You've got Ben who's got no print home, right. Or, you know, neither does Audrey. Right. And then there's Neil who's there. And I guess Harrisburg still has a Saturday Sunday paper, right? Right. Then, yeah. Along with Penn Live, they still have a print piece. I mean, Dave stuff goes both places, but no, it's an interesting mix, and I think a good mix. Yeah. Yeah. So thank you again to everybody that 
real, filled mm-hmm. it out. Oh, and I apologize. We also have one more little section. We did have we did ask you for your feedback or what you would tell the beat. So this is us mm-hmm. telling the beat. Um, this one. I think I can understand where this person was coming from. Uh, this was our one of our shorter ones, but way too many people covering the same crap was what mm-hmm. they said. And I think we've we've talked that we've addressed that with beat writers on here, and it, you have to pay attention. But oftentimes, beat writers will find a way to put their own spin, and the ones that rise to the cream of the crop, the, the top, so to speak, to me, yeah, that, I think that shows through. That I think they those five there are people covering. who who yes often veer off, right? Or at least Correct. have enough experience to, to add the context to the stuff that is there. Correct. Correct. Um, I think this one is kind of, goes along with that. Someone said they allow Franklin to control them for the most part. I don't think I 100% buy that, but I do think that that kind of goes along with our previous con, um, previous piece um, of feedback. Um, so there was that one. Um, on three has a great variety of, of writers covering many different aspects of PSU sports. I did think that one is interesting because they have a relatively robust kind of staff of, of people covering. You've got Nate, you've got Ryan, you've got Sean Fitz, you've got um, Thomas Frank Carr. So you've got people kind of really hitting every little aspect. And then, you know, Nate does especially get into more, more into basketball more than anyone else besides maybe Ben, um, at least on, of that crew. So, I think that was a good piece of feedback for them. Um, this one is interesting. Um, I, I think this was probably one of our more well thought thought out ones. Um, this person says, I think in general, there's a lack of true knowledge about the game and the inner workings of the game and the team amongst the beat. That doesn't mean I don't sincerely like reading them because I do, but some of the media just springs, slings out lazy takes and does not do a lot of true reporting or digging into why certain things things do or don't happen on the field i think my true favorite on the beat is david jones but i got to give a lot of love to thomas frank carr who does an excellent job of breaking down game film and providing real insight on team strengths and its weaknesses i don't disagree with that but i don't think i think if you're looking for that type of content you can find that type of content or you can kind of i don't want to say make your own but you can have that that bar kind of conversation with somebody at a bar and, and and have that. I do wish sometimes, I, I wish that there was a better resource and it doesn't need to be at Penn State, but maybe more nationally of breaking down scheme and breaking down why X thing happened that isn't so quick that like when you get it on a game, like I want, I like, especially at draft time when we get like a film study of, of one single guy and they break down his highlights and they break down and they say, okay, here, let's watch this block, like watch it. And then what do you think about it? And then here's how he made the block. Here's what he did. Well, here's what he could do better. Those types of things. Yes. I think that's probably the thing that's lacking the most for college football or really football fans is, there should be better resources on explaining schemes, explaining the positioning, things that if you didn't play the sport, which not a lot of the people on the beat played the sport, um, at least at Penn State that I know of, um, I think kind of gives them a pass. And I don't think that's also why they're solely there. I think there's they're solely there. To, they're they're there for other reasons than just here's what happened on the field. Here's what right. Didn't happen on the field. And I, but I don't I don't think that's anybody's 
maybe T Frank right because he's doing more of it. But I think his, I don't know his full background. I think that it's more reps and having watched stuff and, and known there's nobody on this beat to, to play division one football, right? There's nobody on this beat that played. And I don't, that's not required to be good at it, but to the, to the survey respondents point, if you want that kind of stuff, I don't think many, many college football beats are positioned to do that well. Right. And the people who are positioned to do it well need to have it pulled out of them. So it can be efficient by someone whose job it is, is these people's jobs. You know, that's why they have analysts and they have announcers and whatever else. And even if you did podcasts or, or print stuff, getting a player to explain why something works or didn't simply isn't easy, you know, yeah, and, and, and beat writers aren't, aren't positioned that. So I think it's fair criticism, but it's probably true on every beat of almost every sport, you know, in some way. Yeah. Yeah. No, I think that's, that's very, uh, very fair. Um, okay. The uh, the last one was amazing with the number of great kids who pass through the Belisario school that the podcast game is so lame. Well, we made it a hundred episodes and nobody's took out, taken us off the air and we we passed through the College of Com. We're doing all right, aren't we, Steve? Hundred episodes. Woo-hoo. I wish I had a bell. Yeah, look at that. It's very cool. All right, this week's old guy, young guy. We're, we'll we'll hit it quick. Okay. You ready? Yes. You, I feel like you know what it's going to be about, Steve. Are you going to go see Barbie? Or are oh God, you going to no, go see? No, 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 no. That was the quickest no ever. No, like you won't turn it on. I, when it's... I watched the trailer the other day just because, right? Like I usually try to watch movie trailers. It, I mean, it looks like it, there's a storyline. Like it looks like there's kind of a storyline. And storyline. And if I would go, I would go for Kate McKinnon, right? Like just oh, because. Oh, you like her? I don't like her. I'm not in love with her, but I think she'd probably be the best thing about the movie from the, from the trailer I saw. All right. Um, you, no, will you, you yes i'm a millennial wait um, you're laughing that there was a storyline so you don't believe there's a storyline so why no i do i'm laughing at the fact that you called out that there's a storyline like that's well like i wasn't i don't know what i was you're, expecting you're, you're, but okay it, i mean the, the this, oh my god the 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 apparent the apparent um self-awareness of the movie could make it fun I think that's why it's going to be good. Right, right? Like I, I think the apparent, the ability that it knows what it is and is doing something with it, I think that could be good. Are you going to go see Oppenheimer? It's three hours long, man. You don't have time for that. Uh, I'm energy. not going to stay awake that long. That's true. Um, you going to see that one? Maybe. Are you going to double feature? Are you going to do, you going no. to do a Barbieheimer? No, I'm not. I I went. So I will say I, I like Christopher Nolan movies, and I did go. When Dunkirk came out, I did go to the Air and Space Museum to see it in the cool. like special special yeah. IMAX. Um, but it is not playing near us in one of the special IMAXs. Um, I know somebody that went to went to a screening at two thirty five a.m. in the um, to see the special IMAX. Um, I'm not I'm not going to do that. Um, I mean, I'm intrigued by it. I just three hours in the movie theater. Yeah, I think I'll, I'll especially wait. with comfortable seats, I'll fall asleep. I think um, I'll wait until that one comes out. Barbie, I'm excited about. I think Barbie is going to be fun. It's a good okay. summer movie. So is it going to be that the next week? You mean we're going to get here within the next week? I will. Yes. Okay. Cool. Yes. Cool. Maybe not by the next time we talk, but probably by the next time. Okay. We talk. Okay. I'm excited. No, I'm, I'm. My next viewing that I'm actually interested in is the quarterback stuff on Netflix. Yeah. Just no interest in Barbie. Will you? Five years from now, if TNT is still around or TBS is still around, and Barbie then is I can on. watch it, right? Well, you will, you will. Right. Barbie's one of the thing in our house. We, we know it's not true. We had Barbies. We had all 
the physically challenged Barbies because the dog we had at the time <laughs> ate Barbie hands and feet and only hands and feet. So all <laughs> of the, the Barbies, the, 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 no, the few little Barbies we had, and they're like three, were at the wrists and ankles and that was it. So we always had, we had a couple of physically challenged Barbies. Maybe we had that cheerleading Penn State one, but I don't well, remember. I was going to say, but I, I, I do own one Barbie. House. It's still in the box. It is a Penn State cheerleading Barbie. I'm going to, I'm going to Altoona this weekend. We're, we're going to training camp on, on Saturday. Um, nice. I'm going to see, I think it's, it's still in Altoona. It might've been shipped down here to Frederick. Um, but I, uh, I'll send you a picture yeah. if I can find cheerleader, it. Bar, cheerleader Barbie had two things going against her in our house. A, she was a cheerleader, which was probably the biggest thing. And B, she was a Barbie. Like we just didn't do, Susan wasn't a adult mm-hmm. kid. So that wasn't super encouraged. So mm-hmm. yeah. All right. But I can't wait to hear about the movie. All right. Not the dogs are barking. So that means one thing and one thing only we need to shut up. Um, okay. We have a podcast. You just listened to it. Thank you to Ben Jones for joining us finally on the podcast. Um, it was a great conversation with him. Um, let's see. My Twitter handle is at stuff. Summer says Steve says at Steve Samsel. We have an email. It is. I for what is the email podcast at stuff. Summer says.com. I, I have an email. It's Darian at stuff. Summer says.com. Steve has an email. It's, it's Steve at stuff. Summer says.com. Okay. Did we, well, when you are in your email, if you want to email us, you can also sign up for our newsletter, which is on our website. Um, We have a YouTube page. Subscribe. And we've got big news coming currently in in another month, less than a month. You just said there's news coming. It's I don't, I got to talk to some people, but I would say, Keep your and eyes we've open. We've got a cool series of stories coming that's going to start uh, to yeah, allow so, you to provide some interaction as well. Yeah, so, so like, you, not you, but you, those people you. out there. Right. We're going to break the fourth wall. There we go. Um, yeah, very excited. This was Steve's idea, and I'm very excited about sharing it. And I think it will be a good series. Um, and then it's like, I don't know if you realize this, this is the last week of July, which means August starts next week, which means we can talk about football, football and football and more football. And you made it through the summer with us hopefully we kept you entertained with some great interviews so i think i think we will call this the end of season three right correct so episode 101 is going to be season four yeah i think i think we this will be our season finale and end on 100 season finale and episode 100 man it's got a lot going for it hope you stick around hope you stuck around to listen to it all because tell your friends hey people are listening to believe it or not believe it or not thank you goodbye